one controversial issue which i think will will be controversial for as long as there are relations between men and women which probably is to say you know as long as there are humans period is the issue of male and female sexuality and how that plays out in a person's dress although i say a person but let's let's be honest in these sorts of discussions what it usually ends up coming down to is uh is women's women's dress and i also want to spend some time focusing on how that tends to intersect with religion because one one form of dress among women that is and has been and probably will be for quite a while uh, that is controversial is the issue of of veiling uh, especially in Islam, because it seems to me, at least, that coming from our context, being in the United States, which for most of its history has been has been dominated by by Christianity and Christian ideas within its leaders and within the culture, and then also to today, um, speaking post 9/11. And with what seems like you know constant news stories about uh, about Islamic terror attacks and stuff like that, the way that I see it, what tends to end up happening is that any issue in in another religion, in this in this specific instance, uh, Islam, that snags our that snags our attention in that way because it is you know quote unquote different. It takes up more more attention and more concern, whereas if there were well, and there are similar issues with uh, uh, with Christianity, which we take for granted as being part of our history and cultural background. Issues with uh, with women's with women's dress, for instance, which I'll be I'll be making the comparisons between the two in a little bit. But issues with women's dress, or also with Christian motivated terrorist attacks, those tend to not take up our attention as much, uh, precisely because they're not, you know, they're not seen as sort of as sort of the outsider. And so I want to talk to talk about that and to put some things into into context, and also talk about uh, some of the issues that tend to come up in these sorts of debates and the different different viewpoints. With the issue of veiling women specifically, so when I say veil, by the way, I mean um, any sheet of cloth that is usually used to at least cover a woman's hair, if not other parts of her head and body. But anyway, when it comes to uh, veiling, uh, veiling women in religion, it's interesting because those, those edicts and those issues tend to arise with the three Abrahamic monotheisms, Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam. And so it's, it's interesting to notice that, uh, that pattern. And so you might wonder, you know, why is that? Why, why does that arise out of these religions and spread into, into the Middle East and, and you know, in, in Africa and Europe? But why, but not in, uh, this, as far as I know, hasn't been an issue in in Asia, at least not until the the three monotheisms started spreading into Asia. And so, when I looked on, um, granted on Wikipedia, but I'm going to make sure to only focus on the on the parts 
that are sourced in ancient Mesopotamia and then in the Greek and Persian empires, it actually was a sign of respectability and status for women to veil themselves, which from a practical standpoint makes sense because uh, a woman who is lower class and is working with her hands, uh, a veil would, would get in the way. It would impede her ability to work. So it's as if uh, it's as if the veil communicates to people that the woman, uh, the woman wearing it, has the the leisure and the status to be able to wear a veil without it getting in the way of her livelihood. It's kind of like uh, like how fair skin, you know, it's an unfortunate fact, but fair skin uh, tends to be prioritized over and over again in different cultures at different times because it shows that. It shows that the person, male or female, doesn't have to work out in the sun in order to subsist. That is, uh, that is pushed off to, to other people. And in antiquity, a veil was also a sign of, uh, of modesty and respectability. For example, there is a law code from Assyria that dates from between 1400 and 1100 BCE which forbids a prostitute veiling herself. And if a prostitute were to veil herself, she would be subject she would be subject to physical punishment. And from a practical standpoint too, it also makes sense to veil oneself out in these uh, in these desert desert climes. Um, the traditional clothing of the Bedouins, for instance, Men and women veil themselves, veil their heads to provide, you know, shade and a little bit of cooling from the constant barrage from the hot sun, for instance. But as I personally believe tends to happen, these sorts of, uh, of cultural practices got intertwined with religion. In Judaism, as in many religions, there is, of course, the advancing of the virtue of modesty and that but because modesty can encompass so many different behaviors and expressions how that manifests seems to depend on your time period your culture your your rabbi etc and so while modesty can of course include one's comportment and one's behavior one's speech and so on and so forth in Orthodox Judaism, for instance, there have been interpretations of the Jewish holy texts that are a bit more a bit more literal, and so then um, so then there are injunctions for uh, for men too, but also for for women to cover themselves and to the elbows and to the knees, and then for women specifically. Uh, Orthodox uh, Jewish women are not supposed to show their hair in public and definitely not at synagogue. And so uh, Orthodox Jewish women will veil their hair, they'll put, uh, they'll put scarves over their hair, uh, sometimes they'll even wear wigs out in, out in public instead of showing their hair. And with Christianity, now the interesting thing about women veiling their hair and the monotheisms Nowadays, we tend to think of that as being purely a purely an Islamic thing. However, in the Christian Bible, specifically in First Corinthians chapter eleven, 
there is a section written by Paul that seems to indicate pretty clearly that women should be veiled or be covered. And of course, with, and and I want to read this section to you. Now, of course, um, there always is the issue of translation. So I have two in front of me, and I will go back and forth between the two. In the King James Version, starting at verse 3, Paul writes, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. And then skipping ahead a bit in verse 7, Paul writes, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. And then skipping down a little bit further in verse 13, he writes, Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? And so that ends the King James translation. In the New American Bible translation, he writes, Any man who prays or prophesies with his head covered brings shame upon his head, but any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled brings shame upon her head, for it is one and the same thing as if she had had her head shaved. For if a woman does not have her head veiled, she may as well have her hair cut off. And then skipping down a bit, a man, on the other hand, should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. And then skipping down a bit further, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? And that concludes the New American Bible translation. So in reading this, it seems at least pretty clear to me that there is this injunction for a Christ- Christian women to veil to veil their hair. Of course, this has engendered some some interpretation as religious texts inevitably tend to do because the majority of his writings seem to indicate that women should cover their hair when they are when they are praying or or perhaps proselytizing. I'm not really sure what specifically he meant by prophesying. And so there is a tradition in some denominations of Christianity for women to veil their hair all the time or just when they are uh, in their churches or when they are praying. Uh, for instance, I have a classmate who actually uh, is required to, to veil her hair when she attends church. But going about her daily life, she leaves her head uncovered. And if you look at uh, Christian imagery, Christian art, painting, sculptures, etc., the vast majority of the female figures tend to have their head covered. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking of any painting or statue that I have seen of Mary, for instance, where she did not have her hair covered. And so that writing by Paul actually seems to be much more explicit when compared to similar verses in the Quran. And I have in front of me um, several different translations of the the verses in question. I'm not going to read all of them, but this is uh, available uh, on several websites. And the section that I 
am looking at specifically is Surah or chapter uh, in English, uh, Surah 24, verse 31. And so it can be translated in, in several ways, but uh, I'll read one and, uh, and then go from there. Quote, and tell the believing women to reduce or lower some of their vision and guard their private parts and not expose their adornment, which sometimes is translated as a woman's hair, not expose their adornment except that which necessarily appears thereof and to wrap a portion of their head covers over their chests and not expose their adornment except to their husbands, their fathers, and then the verse goes on to list, you know, the various different people that it is proper for a woman to expose her adornment to. And so similar to what I said before, as far as I know, this this verse has also, of course, engendered uh, many different interpretations. And so I already, I already pointed out some of them, like the word adornment. What specifically does that mean? Personally, I also find it rather interesting that it says to, for women to draw their their veils or their head covers over their chests. So then I wonder, is that plus a woman's adornment, are those the two things that need to be covered, in which case do the more extreme versions of the veil that also cover a woman's face, is that, you know, is that not necessary? And the different ways in, in which uh, a Muslim woman can veil herself is, I think, indicative of this issue of interpretation. So there, so there are many different, different forms of veiling, but the most common are, so there's the hijab, and so that is the headscarf that, that covers a, a woman's hair and her neck. And then there's the khador, C-H-A-D-O-R, which covers a woman's hair, neck, and shoulders. And then there's the niqab, which covers the hair, neck, shoulders, and face, but still leaves the eyes visible. And then there's the burqa, which covers everything, and only and there's only a mesh screen in front of the eyes so that the woman can see out, but you can't really see in. So arguments to support uh, these modest, modesty requirements in Islam and in other forms of, of Christianity, in other religions, and I think probably too these arguments would come up in discussions around cultural norms, around how a person, especially a woman, dresses, is that this is supposed to be done in protection of the woman. It is supposed to help her so that uh, so that the men that she talks to aren't distracted by her her looks, her beauty, and so that they can focus on what she's actually saying the the person that she is instead of just being distracted by by the exterior. It's also claimed that uh, that these requirements will also help a woman when she is just you know walking down the street that she won't get catcalled or harassed. It is often said that a woman who dresses more modestly, she is viewed as somebody to be treated with more respect. And to be fair too, in in Islam, and I believe too in other, in other uh, denominations of Christianity, I know for instance the Mormons have this too, 
it, it is brought up that men also have modesty requirements. A friend of mine told me that in Islam, it, it's something like uh, men have to cover themselves from the navel to the knee. And I know for Mormons, it's something similar for men. And aside from going swimming, men are not supposed to go shirtless, if I recall correctly. And that can bring some semblance of, of balance to the debate. I personally, when I've heard that, my first thought is, yes, but how inconvenienced is a man by the edict to cover himself from the navel to the knee, whereas with a, with a woman, it's not just that she has to cover her it's not that she just has to cover her lower half, she also has to cover certain parts of her upper half. And in response to that, you could say, well, yes, that's, but that's because men and women are biologically different. Fair enough. But then I can't recall ever hearing somebody say that a man who covers himself will be free from sexual harassment while walking down the street or will be seen as more respectable and and so on and so forth but even then the the claims that modesty requirements will protect women from sexual harassment sexual assault etc unfortunately the stats show that that just simply isn't true the levels of uh, of sexual harassment and sexual assault are not you know significantly lower in in, for instance, uh, countries where the veils are more strictly observed, the levels of sexual harassment and sexual assault in, in those countries are not significantly lower than in countries that don't have those, uh, those requirements. And I should say, too, that as far as the legal side of things, technically there are only two countries in the world that require uh, a veil, and that's uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. However, it is still a, a cultural fact that a woman who goes unveiled in various countries that have a, you know, a much higher uh, Islamic presence, those women still tend to face uh, ostracism or social pressure to veil themselves, even though it's not, a, it's not a legal requirement. But even if the way that a person dressed was automatically enough to protect them, from sexual harassment and sexual assault, it wouldn't really help the situation because it's an unfortunate fact that you are far more likely to be harassed or assaulted by someone that you know personally rather than just a stranger on the street. Uh, interestingly enough, it's also the same with murder and being killed. You're far more likely to to be attacked by somebody that you know, somebody that you that you are close to, which I think is an interesting statement on humanity and uh, and our relationships. But uh, perhaps that can be a topic for another time. So unfortunately, it, the proof seems to be that uh, that modesty requirements, in so far as they govern the relations between men and women, don't really seem to have the effect that they are claimed to have. Now, as far as, uh, as far as the, the veil and, uh, and the statement that it makes on the relations between men and women, 
and also the way that it intersects with culture too. There's this uh, famous comic strip that can be retrieved with a quick Google search. It's just one panel and it's two women uh, who have passed each other while walking down the street and they're sort of looking back at each other in the way that the other one is dressed. And the one on the left is sort of your your typical, you know, she looks like this rich Western woman with blonde hair and heels and bag and everything, but she is wearing a bikini and sunglasses. And so she is looking at the other woman who is wearing a, a niqab, I think, because you can still see her eyes. And so they're both looking at each other and the woman in the bikini is thinking, everything covered except her eyes, what a cruel male-dominated culture. And then the woman in the niqab is looking at the woman in the bikini and thinking, nothing covered but her eyes, what a cruel male-dominated culture. Which is an interesting statement on the on the intentions and motivations, perhaps, that underlie these different modes of dress. And it was uh, a man who designed the bikini. So I guess what I'm trying to point out is that while these veils have a religious context and also have religious motivations underlying them as well, it seems that the angle of male desire and male sexuality is, is an inescapable factor in all of this. And I personally have to wonder whether these sorts of debates, whether they can ever be separated from that aspect. It seems to me that it's just an unavoidable fact that physicality is a part of attraction. And it, it exists, of course, on the side of women as well. I don't know if there's anything to prove this exactly, but of course it has been it has been said it is a it is a truism that when it comes to desire, men are more visual. And so that's part of the reason why we have the the stereotype of the the man who gravitates towards the the beautiful young woman, regardless of whether or not you know she has a good personality or is smart or anything like that. And then the flip side of that, of course, is the stereotype of the woman who aggressively pursues the rich, powerful man, uh, regardless of his personality or regardless of his looks. And so, what those stereotypes, at least what they what they tend to communicate is that stereotypically for men, it's about they are looking for looks and for physicality in a partner, while women are looking for prestige and power in a partner. So at least in in these debates, that aspect of looks and how it intersects with male desire tends to come up a lot in these debates around uh, around women covering themselves, whether it's with a veil or whether it's with other modesty requirements, especially religiously motivated modesty requirements. With the veil specifically in Islam, of course, there also is a, a political aspect to it as well. And so here in, uh, in the West and in Western countries, there is that clash, uh, as I mentioned before, even though for a while in Christian nations, especially in, in the Middle Ages and, uh, and in the 1500s, 1600s, uh, Christian women would veil themselves, that has slowly fallen away from Western culture. 
even though in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago that in Western culture, women would veil themselves either all the time or on certain occasions and so forth. And so there is, unfortunately, there is, there is prejudice towards, uh, towards Muslim women who veil themselves. And there have been, there have been attacks, there have been um, snide, snide remarks and fighting words said to these women who are trying to be devout and practice their, their right to religious freedom. So sometimes there is the opinion of, uh, of whether or not Muslim women should, should abstain from veiling themselves even though they want to be devout and to, to follow their religious texts. Sometimes there is the argument made that even despite that, it is better for a Muslim woman to protect herself by, by not wearing that veil. Interestingly enough, though, I've heard that, um, I wish I could remember the details, uh, my TA told me that uh, somewhere in the Middle East or in North Africa, wearing the veil has actually become a political statement as a, a way to assert uh, one's own identity. And so in that respect, the veil can also, can also take on a cultural context and less so of a religious context. We're starting to get low on time, but to wrap this up, I want to take the uh, the typically American view on this issue and to focus on to focus on freedom. It troubles me to hear that in France the uh, the burqa and the niqab have been have been banned. You couldn't get away with something like that here in the United States, I don't think precisely because we have that right to practice religious freedom. And while I personally would would never veil myself, I, I grew up actually in a in a tradition in a religious tradition that focused on modesty requirements and it was it was stifling and and that's one of the things that I'm grateful to have now outside of that tradition is the freedom to choose what I wear. As much as, you know, I would I would never I don't think I don't think I would ever wear wear a veil or follow any other sort of modesty requirement at least not one that wasn't just you know built into the secular culture but it still troubles me to hear that a government could could tell people what to wear or what not to wear I personally think that it would be more ideal to to hash out those sorts of debates ourselves with each other among adults and not not to have a finger wagged at us to say oh you have to wear this or or you cannot wear this personally i i think that it offends the dignity of the human spirit and on that note we have to wrap up but thank you for listening i hope you have a great night and i will see you next week <laughs>